0: Well, please join me now in first Peter chapter five. And today we conclude our series through first Peter. And Peter's been reminding us all along that we are exiles on the earth. But today he's going to remind us, not only are you in exile, but you live in a spiritual war zone. But even so, he's given us everything we need to thrive in this exile and everything we need to win this war. So victory is assured for us as believers if we're in Christ and we're walking in a growing faith in Christ. Now, in these days, we're trying to grapple with what happened recently in Afghanistan. How did that country fall so fast? And we'll leave it to other people to investigate exactly what happened. But isn't it something that that the Afghan army, so many in number, so well-trained by us, so well-armed fell so quickly to a much smaller force a force not as well equipped not as well trained but a brutal force they were and it's possible when it's all evaluated maybe it was that those early victories of the Taliban just struck fear into the forces as city fell city fell it just seems like the the Afghan army just melted in fear and and went away again we'll leave it to others to figure out what happened but But I think about this for us and we have a spiritual enemy like that, that's vicious and brutal and certainly has the goal to strike fear in us that he might gain some advantage in us. But I want to remind you as we take on the topic of spiritual warfare today, that we have nothing to fear if we are in Christ. So we saw last time in verses five through seven of chapter five, these two words, as we summarized it, be humble. Remember that humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. But we also said last time, be hopeful because we can cast all our anxiety on him because he cares for us. But then two more words here, Peter's gonna tell us in this text, be sober-minded and to be watchful because of this enemy. Let's go into the text now, 1 Peter 5. Let's pick up in verses eight through 11. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, As we've walked these months through First Peter, we've seen that the backdrop of this has been a lot of suffering and persecution. And Peter here waits till the final chapter to tell us that there is, a, there is an evil spiritual force behind a lot of that suffering that you're experiencing. All that persecution that they were experiencing, there is a spiritual force, an evil one who's behind those human beings who are doing the persecuting. And so he's telling us here, then first point, be prepared for this spiritual warfare. Be prepared for spiritual warfare. That's verse eight. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Do you know that? That you have an adversary. You might wish to think that if I just do my life and, and other people do their lives and everybody will leave me alone. We'll all be peaceful. But, but here's the reminder, you have an enemy. In fact, he's described as prowling around like a roaring lion. So he's talking about the devil. First of all, let's note this. He is not the opposite and equal of God. So when we think about Satan, don't think, well, he's just the, the evil version of God and they're on the same level. Not at all. Satan is a created being, a fallen angel, and he does not share the attributes of our God. So here we find him roaming around uh, because he's not omnipresent. Our God is everywhere present fully, but Satan is not. He can only be one place at a time. Certainly he has his fallen angels, his demons around places, but they're not omnipresent. And of course, while we're at it, we'll say he's also not all knowing. And also he's not all powerful, but our God is. But what do we know about Satan? Well, he is vicious. Notice how he's described here in our text, seeking someone to devour. So here's a being that, that sees us his purpose to bring destruction. This is pure evil. This is evil personified in Satan himself wanting to destroy people. Now we know from scripture, a number of things about Satan. God has not left us unaware here. He is described as the accuser. He's also known of as the tempter. So we remember notably in Jesus's life to no avail, but Satan tempted Jesus. Jesus, and especially in that occasion in Matthew chapter 4. So he is a tempter. He's also an adversary. That's how he's described right here in our text in 1 Peter 5. He's an enemy to us. And then this one, I think this is important for us to remember that he is a deceiver. And we're told that throughout the New Testament in 1 Peter 4, 2 Corinthians 4, certainly Genesis chapter 3, as he deceived Adam and Eve. But listen how Jesus describes Satan. This is John 8, 44. This is the words of our Savior about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. We need to know that about the evil one. And he, of course, as our text tells us, he is a destroyer. He's seeking someone to devour. So we're just talking about Satan and we say, he is horrible. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so when we think about Satan, we would acknowledge he's powerful, not as powerful as God, but he's powerful and he's influential. He manipulates the world system. He certainly works to make things more hostile. Here's what we read in 1 John 5:19. We know that we are from God. Listen to this. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So we know that God is ultimately sovereign over all things. He's bringing history to his preordained conclusion, but he has he has certainly given the evil one a lot of license on the earth for this season. And we see that on display in this very dysfunctional world. We see that this evil one is exerting a lot of influence on the world and and all the mess, all these things that cause us to weep and be concerned. We think, oh, there's there's the handiwork of Satan. So here we are, elect exiles, as Peter called us back in chapter one, living in a hostile world that has been blinded by Satan. Therefore, you and I should know that and we should live with wisdom. Hence, Peter says here, be sober minded meaning be serious, be clear headed. Peter used that same wording earlier. We saw it back in chapter one, verse 13. Remember this? Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, let your hope fully, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. First Peter four, seven, same word. The end of all things is at hand, Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Be sober-minded in this spiritual war. Be watchful. Sometimes we find ourselves using that word watchful when it comes to the weather. We get some, some kind of weather alert, hopefully days ahead of time, and we go out into our yard and we start putting things away that could blow around and become projectiles. And if we have enough warning, we'll even get things into our house in case we lose power. We, we get into that watch mode. If you're like me, I have to remember when they give a weather watch warning, I don't know which one's worse. I'm having to rehearse that. Which one is it? But we're watchful about the weather. I think about our servicemen and women when they serve in a combat zone, they're told to be at the highest threat level. Be, be ready for that. And they're trained what that means for them. But maybe another way that we think about that word, when we are watchful in our lives, sometimes it's when we're out at night. If you find yourself in a Walmart parking lot after 10, you know, you're like, okay, hey, I'm, on, I'm on alert here. Or I remember a time after a meeting, I was in a, I had to go to a parking garage, downtown Richmond at nighttime. I was, I was on high alert. I'd like to say I wasn't a little afraid, but I, I think a little tingly is going up my head, you know, a couple of moments there, right? But they tell you, have your keys ready, right? And then you're ready to fight or flee depending on what the situation is. And so that's the idea here. We want to be watchful. We want to be alert, not fearful, but we should be we should looking around. And one of the things that will help us not to be caught off guard is if we think together about what are some of Satan's common tactics. So we think he, he's seeking someone to devour. What would that look like? How would this spiritual being come at me? Well, some of his common tactics are these. First of all, distraction. Satan's going to seek to distract you away from having your eyes on Jesus to keep you from living out the mission that God has given you. And he'll do that through temptations. And we're rightly on guard against big temptation, some moral failure or some like to get me into drugs or a life of crime. Of course, be careful there. Many have fallen in those ways, but it doesn't have to be something like that. Satan can be quite successful in just distracting you away from a pure devotion to Jesus Christ to get you enamored chasing after things to get you distracted with some other person or people rather than following after Christ. He'll bring temptations to give you the opportunity to turn away from devotion to Christ. Another way Satan will attack, it's through doubt. We see this in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve were caused to or tempted to doubt God's word. Did God really say what you think he said? And that's a move that Satan has used a lot. Perhaps he's working this in your life to doubt God's existence to doubt God's role in creation, to doubt the teachings of God's word, or to even to doubt that God loves you. Last time we talked about the fact that we have hope because God cares for us. And maybe in your heart, you've had that doubt. I don't, I don't, I don't know that he cares for me. If he's letting these things happen in my life, I just don't know about that. That's the evil one tempting you away from what's true. In fact, another tactic is that realm of deception or blindness, Jerry Rankin, a former president of the International Mission Board, wrote a book on spiritual warfare. And he tells a story in there about when he was a youth minister in Fort Worth, Texas, long before his missions time. And he talked about how in his youth ministry, he and many of the youth had been sharing with one of the young men in the community. And many people shared this young man still wasn't believing, still wasn't believing. People kept sharing with him. And then eventually one of the other young men from the youth group went to him and shared Christ with him. And that day, the young man believed in Christ they baptized him. And then when the young man gave his testimony, he says, you know, the other day, that was the first time I ever heard the gospel. He's like, how's that possible? We all shared Christ with him. How can he say that's the first time he heard it? It's just reminder that listen, before Christ, we're dead in our sins, but we're also blind spiritually, even blinded by the evil one. And thank God for his grace that when we believe that's God's work. Okay. Now I see, but Satan is one who seeks to blind people. Have you ever had that experience in sharing the gospel with somebody? You're talking about the cross where Jesus died. You're talking about this is all grace. He's offering you the free gift of salvation. It's not by works. And you're always emphasizing it's not by works. Jesus did the work. Would you like to trust in him? And the person, even though you've been talking about grace, they'll say, yeah, I try to live by the golden rule. What? I've been talking grace. You come back with works and you explain the gospel again. It's grace. Jesus did all the work. And sometimes you'll hear back. Yes. And I try to live by the 10 commandments. No, there, there's a blindness there. And you and I were blind just like that before the Lord opened our eyes. This is, a, this is a tactic of the evil one to deceive and to blind. Another way Satan works to watch out for is division. Satan delights to bring division and tear apart relationships. Certainly Satan is one who would be an instigator that we would believe the worst about one another. Satan certainly has nothing to do with encouraging forgiveness, or reconciliation, or restoration. In fact, we look around the world, this world where he has so much influence, and that's all we see is brokenness, and hatred, and division. Contrast that with our God, who's given us the gospel of peace, this message of Jesus Christ, that can bring people from every tribe, tongue, and nation into being one people. That's what we're about, but we have an enemy bent on division, but ultimately for destruction. Verse eight again, be sober-minded, be watchful, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And So typically his tactic is to do that very subtly. He's very shrewd like that, where it seems like just a small compromise, a small area of disobedience as we estimate it, but he's working a long game to get you into destroying yourself and those around you. Another question before we move on is this, as we talk about just being aware, being prepared for spiritual warfare, is there such a thing as demon possession? And of course, the answer is yes, it's very biblical. There is such a thing as demon possession. We see it in the scriptures and, and it's certainly possible in our culture as well, but our missionaries often see it in other cultures, maybe where the gospel has not been before or there aren't many churches and Satan has worked in that more over the top, very demonstrative way. And so missionaries have had to be a part of, of those types of ministries. The question often comes, why doesn't Satan do that here in the West as much as he does it over there? Well, it seems to be that Satan has estimated that he can get a lot done in these cultures in a covert way, that that he can get a lot accomplished even through people who deny Satan's existence. So the very people blinded to this reality and mock the idea of a literal devil are under his sway accomplishing his purpose. But but certainly this is a spiritual reality of demon possession. We'll talk about that again in a moment. So the first thing we were talking about, we're seeing in our text, is that we should be prepared for spiritual warfare. Secondly, let's see this. Be victorious in spiritual warfare. Be victorious in it. So yes, be careful, but at the same time, be confident. Look at verse nine. We're told, resist him firm in your faith. So you can successfully resist Satan in your life by standing firm in your faith in Jesus Christ. As a believer in Jesus Christ, Satan cannot win unless you let him win in your life. In our moments of temptation, when we lose, ultimately it's because we wanted to lose. Isn't that the sad truth? Satan brings the temptation. He cannot make you take it. He cannot make you give in. So every time you've given in, that's been on you. You can't say that Satan, well, he did that. He really really had my number on that one. No, he knew where you were weak, perhaps, but you wanted to give in. So Satan, all he can do is try to entice you that you would then bring harm to yourself. I think the the best illustration I can think of of what this is like is one I'm sure I've shared before when these similar topics come up. But it was about 20 years ago, there was an email that would circulate around and it would tell you to, oh, search your hard drive, check out your hard drive. If you find this file there, it's a virus, you need to delete it immediately. And so everybody was searching their computers for that file and sure enough, everybody found it because Microsoft put it there. It was supposed to be on your computer. But everybody believing the email would see that and think, all right, I got I to gotta delete that file. And you did harm to your own computer because somebody deceived you telling you you had a problem. I think that's how Satan works in us. Hey, you need to do this. You need to do that. He can't make you do it. But then you bite on the temptation and you do the harm to yourself. So listen, Satan cannot make you sin but you can choose to sin in response to the temptations he brings or those temptations that rise from your sinful flesh. Satan cannot keep you from growing in Christ, but you can keep yourself from growing in Christ. He'll provide you opportunities to be distracted by other things, but he can't make you do that. What about your relationships? Do you feel, oh, my relationships are vulnerable to Satan? No, no. He'll bring opportunity for you to bring dysfunction but, but only you can destroy your relationship or, or your partner can destroy the relationship. But Satan, is, he cannot do that to you. So don't be intimidated. You can resist the devil. And we're told how here. We're told be firm in your faith. I love the texts of the Bible that over and over again tell us we should be confident in this very serious battle. One example is 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. First Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he also will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So think about it. Do you know that truth? That every time you're tempted, no matter how strong the temptation there is by God's word, always a way of escape. And that's not what Satan wants you to think in that moment of strong temptation, especially if it's an area where you have fallen before. You'll have the thought in your mind, I can't I can't beat this one. This is where I'm in bondage. This is the one where I always fall. But God tells you the contrary. I've given you a way of escape. You do not have to give into the temptation. The sad reality is in those moments when we fail, we wanted to take the temptation. I love James 4, 7. James 4, 7, listen to this. Submit yourselves therefore to God. That's the prerequisite submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do you hear the confidence of that one? When you know the Bible tells me, God tells me if I'm surrendered to him, like last time, I've humbled myself under the mighty hand of God. James says this way, submit yourselves to God. Now I can resist the devil. And the word of God says he will flee from me. So you should be very confident, not confident in yourself, but confident in Christ. You're standing firm in your faith. You're not battling in your own strength. You have almighty God fighting for you. And this foe we have, he is limited. He is a doomed foe. I love those encounters in the gospels where Jesus has the the showdown with some demon-possessed person. And it's never a matchup of equals. It's always a demon terrified in the presence of Jesus. I love that occasion where the demon starts questioning, are you here to destroy us before the time? I mean, they know their days are numbered and they're terrified of Jesus. And so you and I have Jesus living within us by the Holy Spirit. We should be confident in these battles. By the way, in the topic of demon possession, it is impossible for a believer in Jesus Christ to be possessed by a demon. You are already full of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the last place a demon would be able to reside in the presence of almighty God who lives inside of you. So the most that the evil one can do is harass you. He can try to deceive you. He certainly can try to discourage you. True, he can manipulate the unbelievers around you to make life more challenging for you, but even that's under the limitation of God if we remember the book of Job. Weren't there limitations on what Satan was allowed to do in the life of Job? I'm just saying we should be confident in Christ. Yes, careful, more careful. This this passage tells us to be sober, watchful, But do you hear the confidence we can have? How about 1 John 4, 4? Little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And indeed, Satan's days are numbered. I love Revelation 20, verse 10, where God tells us in advance, this is the day of Satan's ultimate doom. Here it is, Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan is destined for hell, not as the king or ruler over hell, but as a prisoner in hell where he will be tormented forever and ever. So we as we take this to heart, we prepare and we plan for victory here. We fight to win through our faith in Jesus Christ. I mentioned a moment ago, Jerry Rankin, I was rereading some of his book this week, a book I've had for quite a while, this book he wrote on spiritual warfare. I suppose it's still available out there somewhere, but I've enjoyed rereading some of that. And Dr. Rankin said this, he said, victory in spiritual warfare is not a simple formula. It's not a matter of instructions on how to do it or what to say in steps one, two, and three. Victory is the fruit of our relationship With the Lord as we walk with Him and learn to appropriate by faith the victory He has already given us. Jesus is our victory. He is the one who has defeated Satan, but victory implies a battle. I think his point here is this that it's not a matter of saying a certain phrase against Satan is the key to victory. Sometimes we hear those impressive phrases. Somebody will rebuke Satan in Jesus' name. By the way, I think there's a place for that. There may be occasions where you do speak to the demonic in the name of Jesus and all that. But it's not a matter of, that's not the, that's not the key strategy. Key strategy, I'm fully submitted to God. I'm humbled myself. I found myself under the mighty hand of God. And now I'm walking by faith. That's my great defense here. It's not like those horror movies, and I don't recommend any of these movies, but back in the day, you'd have some scared Catholic priest holding a cross and trembling in the face of some evil. And maybe he's trying to sprinkle some holy water on something. And that's not what we find in the New Testament. It's your relationship with Christ. In fact, I want to take us to Ephesians 6, that famous passage on spiritual warfare. And I want you to hear really, it's the same idea that Peter gives us here in 1 Peter 5. There's the warning about these spiritual realities, these, the demonic forces. He's going to give you that warning. Then he's going to tell you about the armor of God. Sometimes in that teaching, we get so caught up in the symbolism of the armor that we lose sight of, listen, this is just your walk as a disciple. He's calling out that protects you. Hear it with me. This is Ephesians 6, 10 and following. So the warning first and the confidence, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic forces over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Focus on that word, truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, Zero in on that word righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So Peter says the key is your faith. Resist him firm in your faith. Paul here in Ephesians six says your faith, functions like a shield in these spiritual battles. And John said the same thing in 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So in our faith, there are some things we should know. Peter tells us here, one thing you should know in this battle that you're going to win spiritually in Christ is that you're not alone in these struggles. Notice verse 9 resist him firm in your faith, knowing, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You need to know that, that in these battles and in the sufferings we experience in this life, you're not alone. You have others going through the same thing. God has not left you behind. Also, you should know that God is sovereign. God is aware of what's happening to his children all over the world. He's sovereign over this. This is temporary. In fact, that's the other thing to know, that all these troubles are also very temporary. Look at verse 10. And after you have suffered, catch it, a little while. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. So all of your sufferings and trials are temporary. Even Satan himself, temporary problem for you, but all of your blessings, all of your glories are going to be eternal. So stand firm in your faith. So let me ask you, are you taking seriously in these days this matter of spiritual warfare? Let me ask you this. What if there were a literal lion prowling the streets of Glen Allen? Some of you say, I live in Hanover. I wouldn't worry about it. Well, You, you, you would on Sunday morning. You'd, you'd get out of your car like, there's a lion somewhere around here. It's interesting, in Raleigh, this year, somebody had been collecting venomous snakes and a spitting cobra got loose. It got loose in November, but the guy didn't tell anybody. He thought maybe it died in the cold, but it didn't die. It it moved its way around, and in June, it was found about a half mile from his house in Raleigh, a spitting cobra. He's been arrested for that, and uh, I think he's got like 40 misdemeanor charges on him for that. But there were people who were on alert. Once it was discovered there's a spitting cobra on the loose in Raleigh, people were living a different life there for a little while. And uh, likewise, let's come back to this roaring lion in Glen Allen. If that were there, you'd have a different way of living, wouldn't you? And you you would talk to your children a little differently. Hey, there's danger out there. Until they catch it, there's danger. We need to have that watchfulness when it comes to the evil one. I think we've made it very clear. No no fear. We have everything we need to win in this battle, but we can't be careless. We can't act like there's not someone scheming to bring us down. We need to live with that wisdom. But listen, it does come to our parenting. As as a Christian parent, are you raising your kids to understand you are in a spiritual war? I don't mean I don't mean frighten them, but but at age-appropriate levels There's someone strategizing for your downfall. There's someone who wants to devour you. And these common tactics we talk. talked about, are you raising your children to fight and win that? So you're pointing them to Jesus. You're teaching them to feed themselves in the word of God where their faith can grow. There's the key to their victory right there. You're you're showing them how valuable it is to be in the life of a local church that, that Peter called the flock of God. It's critical to be in that. With the chief shepherd leading us through. If you ever watch those nature shows, you see that, the predators often try to get somebody out of the flock, out of the herd, to go for that weak one, and then they pounce. Listen, there's there's wisdom in us modeling for our children and showing it through our lives. Like I value and I prioritize, yes, my personal time with the Lord, but also being in the body of Christ. Well, real quickly, here's the conclusion. Biosilvanus, this is verse 12. Biosilvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son, greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And so I love this. He caps it off with a lot of word of love here that other churches and other places send you their greetings and they love you. And then he speaks to their local church. He says, greet each other with a kiss of love. And we all get nervous. Now, Pastor Jim's going to apply this to us here. And how does that work? We're in the middle of a pandemic and I don't want to get any near anybody. But even if we weren't in a pandemic, I don't know about that. Well, of course, we think about this as a cultural expression of love. And in our day, historically, sometimes people talk about the right hand of Christian fellowship or we give those classic side hugs. You know, you let me get in here for a, nobody can misunderstand a good side hug or a pat on the back of somebody's shoulder. I think it's a safe spot, right? Or just normally for us, just a smile and a genuine, how are you doing? And we're expressing love for each other. It's just not The kiss is not usually something in our culture we do uh, outside the family. But listen, other cultures, they still do this. Where we served in Central Asia, they did this. And as an outsider living there among them, I would watch the men there in that culture. If they knew each other well, and they care for each other, and they hadn't seen each other in a while, there'd be the embrace, and then there'd be a kiss right on the mouth. And I knew it wasn't weird. I knew it's just what they do. It's it's just endearment for these two two friends or family members. And so I felt safe. I'm thought i an outsider. That's never going to happen to me. They can go for it. Until, until. uh, Been out of the country for a little while, a few months or so, and uh, flew back in, and I see my friend Cockramone. Kakramon was the first man we met when we moved from one city to another and just was very hospitable to us, had us in his home with his family. I still to this day love that man and his family, still pray for their salvation, but a very dear Muslim man. And um, so I'm back in the country after months away and I see Kakramon, he's coming for me. I am unaware of what's about to happen. And I, I'm ready for a hug. I love him and I know he loves me, but then right on my lip, a manly, Central Asian, scruffy kiss right on the mouth. Did I say scruffy? It's, it was scruffy. I'm not used to scruffy kisses. Um, so I was momentarily taken aback, right? Because that's not something I've experienced before. But I was deeply moved by that, deeply flattered, because I knew what that meant. Again, nothing weird. That, that communicated to me. He didn't see me as just some foreign guy that lived there, but, but that there was friendship here. Something akin to family here that he would treat me like, like somebody he would (laughs) plant one on my, on my mouth. So don't worry. I don't think we're going to try to apply that in Central Asian ways here, but, but doesn't it call out, we should, we should love each other like that though, right? However, it's expressed culturally that we matter to one another. You're not just another person that attends the church. You're not just another anonymous person, but all this talk of love, Peter's talking about loving each other earnestly from the heart. Remember that? And then he caps it off. You greet each other with a, with a kiss of love. We just, we need to matter to each other and make sure we're expressing that to, to be intentional to the people around me know that they matter to me like this minus the scruffy kiss. Well, and then, and then the final word here is peace to all of you who are in Christ. And that's a beautiful way to close out this study of first Peter. There is peace in knowing Jesus Christ. And that's what we want for you. This is the peace we've been singing about. If you've been visiting with us and checking out Jesus during these months, this is what we want you to experience, peace. That you're no longer at odds with God. You're no longer resisting his lordship, but you've now humbled yourself. You've received this free gift of salvation through Jesus that he provided at great expense, his body and blood. You've trusted in Jesus. Now now there's peace with him. I know I'm right with God. I know I'll be with him forever. We want you to have that peace. And if you don't know him yet, I wish you today would talk to somebody about how can I know Jesus? We would love to introduce you to Christ. And then there's this peace of being his child, knowing that in all the sufferings and all the anxieties, he does care for us. He does want us to shift all of our cares upon him. Pray with me.